Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Needless to say, sometimes prayer can be a little awkward. It's hard to know what to say. Maybe you've asked that question. How should I be praying? Is there a right, is there a wrong way to be praying? If you have ever asked these questions, you are in good company because the the disciples who walked with Jesus and lived with him for three years, they also were asking the same question because after some period of time, we don't know exactly how long it was, but they had been listening to Jesus praying and they're like, wait, there's something different about the way Jesus is praying than the way we are praying. And they finally mustered up the courage to bring this request to him. They said, and this is recorded in Luke chapter, one, uh, chapter 11, verse one, where it says, Lord, teach us to pray. Show us to do what you're doing. We are clearly not doing what you're doing and we're not getting the results that you're getting either. And so could you please show us how to pray? Because like many of them, just like you, you were probably taught, maybe somebody taught you when you were a child or you picked it up along the way somehow. And here you are an adult facing adult issues and adult problems and you're still praying children's prayers sometimes. You don't really know, like, is there a better way to go about this? And the answer is actually yes. And that Jesus has a lot to say about why we pray and how we pray. Is there a right and wrong way? Last week we looked at actually yes, there very much is a right and a wrong way to pray. And if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go back and check that out. But Jesus really revealed to a lot of us, is along with the disciples, that there are some areas of our prayer life that really need to change, that really need some attention, because if we were to change it, and according to what Jesus said, he's saying there is powerful results, and there is a greater uh, intimacy with God that's going to come out of that. So we're going to talk some more about that today. I want us to dive back into the first thing that Jesus said when he was teaching on prayer. This is in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5, where Matthew, or where Matthew records Jesus saying, and when you pray, if you would, let's read the highlighted word together. And when you pray, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus today, you call yourself a Christian, and when you pray, do not be like the the hypocrites, right? Last week we looked at this. This is a stage actor, somebody who's under a mask, a faker, a pretender. Don't be a pretender. I want you to be real. I want you to be honest. Uh, He goes into two specific categories of false praying. One of them was praying so that you would impress other people who are listening. He's like, don't do that, right? If you do that, that's hypocritical, because you're acting like you're talking to God, but you're actually trying to impress your neighbor, right? And if you do that, then your Father in heaven isn't gonna reward that kind of prayer. And then he goes on to say, uh, when you pray, don't feel like you have to be like the pagans. There's a lot of religions that didn't include God that were just all about uh, mindless repetition. If I'll just say this over and over and over and over and over and over, maybe I can move, cajole, manipulate God to do what I want him to do. And he clearly is showing us God does not want that kind of relationship with his people. That you can pray the same prayers over and over, but mean it from the heart, 
right? That that is fine, but don't do it over and over thinking somehow that those are going to pile up and impress God. In other words, don't think that the language you're using or long prayers or big sophisticated vocabulary is somehow more holy. And if you have a lot of these and thou's that somehow God's going, mm, oh, now I'm paying attention. Okay, now you, you got me. If you're praying in King James, I, you, you got my attention. That is not how it works. As a matter of fact, Jesus was really clear, and we looked at this again, unpacked it last week. When it comes to prayer, we need to keep it simple, we need to keep it real, and we need to keep it up, right? Keep it simple. Many times where Jesus said, you can't even come into the kingdom if you don't come like a little child. Now, this is not Jesus advocating childish prayers, but childlike prayers, have you ever heard a child pray? They're about the most honest human being ever, right? You almost want to like sense, you're not sure what's going to come out of their mouth, but they're going to be honest. They're going to be really honest. He's saying, I want you to be like that with your heavenly father. Be honest about where you really are. You need to keep it real. Jesus was always real with his prayers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in earshot of his disciples, he's praying Father, if this cup of suffering could pass from me, if this, the cross, this way in which you have chosen to bring salvation and forgiveness to all humankind, if it can pass from me, I would like for it to, but not my will, but your will be done. It almost sounds like Jesus is trying to pray out of the will of God, right? Like it's so honest. And then on the cross, you hear Jesus literally dying, his last dying breath of prayer. He's saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is about his most brutally honest prayer that maybe that's ever been prayed, right? Jesus was really honest, and he was right in the will of God. He was being used by God. And that's why he said, not my will, but yours. I want to do what you've called me to do, Father. And it, this is exactly what he did do but he was real. And finally, we need to keep it up. And then uh, it's in Luke chapter 18, verse one, there's a great parable that Jesus shares, but Luke tells us at the beginning, he told the parable to teach us to always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. It's so critical. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Let's say it together, shall we? Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. So powerful. And Jesus promises multiple places here in this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, where he's talking about, he's basically saying, listen, if you pray that way, keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. If you pray that way in private, God is going to reward you, okay? And now we're going to pivot now to the actual words of the prayer. This is where we get our title for the series, How to Pray. Jesus is saying, this then is how you should pray, right? There's a lot of ways you could pray, but here's how you should pray, right? These are the, these are the you need to pay attention to these different, these separate lines of what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer, but really as Jesus gave it to us, it wasn't necessarily the Lord's Prayer as much as it was the disciples' prayer. It is for the followers of Jesus to pray, this is what he gave us to pray, and that we ought to look at these lines and think about, are we including these things in our prayers? This is really important. It was important to Jesus. It should be to us. But he says, this then is how you should pray. Let's read the highlighted words together. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
right? So these, this dichotomy, this, this, this two-fold uh, uh, idea of the Father. First of all, he says, I want you to pray to the Father which is a powerful idea, especially for Hebrew people, because they had been given this metaphor of God being a father, but nowhere were they ever challenged to pray to God as father, as a dad, right? This is where Jesus is, he is separating from the the rest of the crowd big time. He's saying, first I want you to pray to a father. This speaks to the relationship, that it is intimate, it is loving, it is relational. This is the kind of interaction that God wants with us. And then secondly, hallowed. It is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is to be honored. He is almighty. He is the holy, almighty God of the universe who has no equal or no rival. And he's saying, when you come to God, I want you to first pause and think about who you are talking to. Who you are talking to. Like, what should I be saying to a God who is Father and hallowed, right, at the same time, that he is both intimate and infinite at the same time. So powerful. And then the next thing is pause and then rejoice, to take a moment to praise God for who he is, to to just acknowledge that you are in the presence of Almighty God. Imagine for just a moment you got invited to have the listening ear of maybe some of the most powerful influencer people in the world, government officials, uh, you know, regardless of your politics, uh, think for a minute, you were invited to the White House and they were saying, we'd love for your, to have your input today and we might even change the decisions we're making based on the input you're going to give, okay? And you, you would probably clear your schedule to say, oh, this is quite an opportunity to get to go and speak to some of the most powerful people in the world, right? But Jesus is trying to help us to see you have access to the God of the universe all the time. But most people do not take advantage of it. They do not um, leverage that incredible gift, that access to God, which when we pray and this is exemplified all throughout Scripture, history changes. It rewrites what's going to happen in the future. That God doesn't always do what we want, but He will take into account the things that His people are praying for. It is so powerful to see that when we pray, it changes things. And that ought to motivate us to say, we ought to take more advantage of speaking to our Father who is hallowed. This is so powerful. And once we understand who he is, when we pause to reflect on who God is, when we better understand who we are and why we're here, right? When we understand who God is, the creator, then we as creation have a better understanding of ourselves. We understand both our identity, who we are, and our purpose, why we are here. And you really can't know your your identity apart from your purpose. If you're going to know your purpose in life, you've got to kind of know who you are. And if you, if, you know who, if you don't know who you are, you're not going to be able to determine your purpose. It's, it, those kind of go together, but it's also connected to who God is and how he's made us. This is so powerful. And then Jesus pivots. He says, once you get this, you have to get this first. Because if you rush past this and don't understand who you're talking to, then you're not going to you're not going to go along with the rest of it. You're not going to yield yourself to what's coming next. 
you will just blow past it, right? The next thing he talks about is why we pray. Here's the purpose for why we pray. He says, let's say it together, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? In other words, he's saying, I want you to pause for just a minute now that you recognize who you're talking to and you've taken a moment to, to praise him because that's the only like, logical, rational way to respond to God. When you do that, then take a moment to say, okay, God, the next thing that should come out of my mouth is your will over mine, your kingdom over mine, your agenda over mine, right? Your will be done. I know that there's a lot of pushback on that. The moment that we start talking about surrendering and open our hearts and our hands to God, for a lot of you, it's like, well, if I'm honest, like you were saying, like, keep it real, I'm gonna keep it real. It's scary to do that. I'm, I'm a little scared to pray a prayer like that because if I give over control of my life to God, that makes me a little scared. I, I don't know how things are gonna turn out. So I'm afraid of doing that. I'm afraid of, uh, of relinquishing control over my life. But I would tell you, if we could have some of the early followers of Jesus right down to today, the Peter and James and John and, and Paul and Mary and Martha could come up here on the stage and be able to speak to that fear that you're feeling right now. And I would say even many of you in this room, if you could have a moment to speak to a person like that, you would maybe even have a, a, a testimony of saying, here was a time where I was scared to pray a prayer like that, but I was willing to say, hey, even though this scares me, God, your will be done on earth and through my life as it is in heaven. And it opened you up to a world of spiritual growth that you would have never, ever been able to access otherwise. And it's so powerful and important for us to be able to have those kinds of prayer and get real with God. And here's a question that gets asked a lot in our town around this, this whole region of maybe the, the South through the Bible Belt. Like talking about going deep in your faith. Do you really want to go deep? you really want to be deep in your, your, your relationship with God spiritually? Let me tell you, going deep has little to do with what you know, and it has everything to do with releasing control to God. Jesus even reiterates this over and over in his teaching. He would rather you um, know a little and apply it than know a lot and apply a little. All right? He, he talks about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that like those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice is like a person who builds their house on the rock, but the one who hears got all kinds of knowledge, so wise in terms of information. You got all of this. You've been Bible studies and you've got lots of knowledge, but let's be honest, you apply very little. Jesus says that's, that's very unimpressive to God. I, I want you to begin to release control, begin to apply, begin to, to trust me. In other words, being willing to pray, your will be done right here, right now in my life today. Would you be willing to pray that? Your will be done right here and right now in my life. That's scary. Because for some of you, if you're really honest, it's gonna change your relationships in your life. For some of you who are single and you're dating, <clears throat> if you're really gonna apply this, 
This is, this, I mean, let's be honest. You may look at your relationships and you go, yeah, the way that I'm dating and the kind of things that happen on my dates, that's not really the God, wills, will of God. That's not really honoring God. I need to change, right? Are you going to take that seriously? Or are you going to be a hypocrite? Are you going to really take that seriously? Are you asking for God's will to be done every time you access the internet? What information are you bringing in front of your eyes? Is it like pornographic images pretty much irregular, right? Or maybe it's not that, but it's just cell phone addiction. Like you're on it all the time. You have a hard time putting it down. And if anybody challenged you to like, why don't you have a digital fast? Like go 24 hours without picking up your phone. You would like, I don't know if I could live. I would think I would die. Like it, these things have a grip on you? Are you willing to say, God, whatever your will is, I trust that, and I'm going to lean into that? Would you be willing to do that? Maybe with your finances. Have you ever trusted God enough to put God first in your finances and to bring the first tenth or the tithe off of all that he blesses you with to bring it as an offering of worship to Jesus and trusting him with the other 90% to help you to cover the bases? That takes a huge step of faith, but God will stretch and grow your faith through those kinds of steps that like he never will with you playing it safe, praying the prayer, but never applying it. This is where he may be today telling you, it's time for you to let my will be done in this area of your life, your career, with your kids, with your marriage. It's praying for your spouse, even when you don't wanna pray for them. It's praying that God would help you to be a better husband, better wife, show you how to do this, to follow Jesus' lead. This is so incredibly important. And it's really Jesus showing us the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to surrender our will to God's will, not to impose our will upon God's will. It's not bringing our list of saying, here you go, God, here are all the things I need you to do for me, like God is our little errand boy, and as long as you get those done, we're good. If you don't do it, then don't look to Will to be your PR person in the community because I'm not going to be talking you up. I'm mad at you, right? And a lot of people do that with prayer. And it's so important that we come to him saying the first and critical step Jesus is showing us is surrendering our will, not imposing it. Being willing to align our will with the will of God. Because let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, this is not where most people's prayers start with God. It's not a place of surrender. It's a place of rescue. God, help me out of this situation I got myself into. And if I'm really honest, I got myself into it because I wasn't surrendered to you. That's how I got here. And maybe that's where you are today. And maybe you're praying a prayer like that. Maybe you're, you're trying to pray your way out of a situation you have behaved your way into, right? You ever done that? I've done that 100%. You see, let's be honest. We get our unsurrendered selves into situations we can't get ourselves back out of, but we could have avoided if we had begun the whole thing, started the whole day with a prayer of, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and start with Will Lewis, start with me, start with my words. I want my words to reflect your will. I want my actions to reflect your will. I want to reflect my, my role as a husband, as my role as, a, as, as an employer, as my role as a, as a dad, as a son, as a brother, I want, I want every 
role. God, show me where I'm out of sync with you and I want to surrender myself to your will. So powerful when we begin to do this. So it begs the question right now, where are you most resistant to pray your will be done right now in your life? Where is it? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? The future? Your plans? Your schedules? Is it, where is it you're most afraid to relinquish control to God? Because wherever that is, it's like a blinking light on the dashboard of your life where God is saying, here is the area right now. You need to pay close attention to it. Here is the area I'm trying to rescue you from a God help me prayer in the near future, all right? Because anywhere we walk unsurrendered to God, it's only a matter of time before that's going to become a God help me moment. And God is going to, he will help you, but he's not going to undo the consequences of the decisions and choices that you've made. He'll help you to pick up the pieces and he'll help you to, to reconcile with people you have broken bonds with. He'll help you, but why don't we start now? You see, Jesus is showing us the kinds of prayer that always works. The kind of prayer that always works. You see, Jesus is doing more than just teaching us how to pray here. He is inviting us to experience the kingdom of God. The peace that he intended us to have. The joy, the freedom that can only come from a life that is surrendered. That there is an open-handedness with God. So, after we surrender, this is a critical part, now we ask. We're going to shift in the prayer to the asking part. So there is an asking part, and really the whole rest of the prayer is asking, and we're going to get started on it today and finish it next Sunday. But here's the first ask of all the asks, okay? Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, this was a metaphor hearkening back to, whenever the Israelites would hear this, to their ancestors who had been a part of the Exodus, God's emancipation out of Egyptian slavery and going across to the, the promised land. They had been slaves for 430 years. God now has set them free. And here they are in their little tents out in the, the uh, desert, and they would crawl out of those tents every morning, and God has provided manna, this bread from heaven heaven every single day. In other words, day after day after day, God was teaching them dependence upon him, that everything you're going to need to make it through today, I will be the provider for, that you can depend on me, and it will change your life if you will trust me with this. And, and even down to today, I believe Jesus would want us to remind us that no matter how much you've been blessed with, no matter how much you have, ultimately God is your provider. All things flow from his hands. Every breath you draw, every heartbeat, every day, it is a gift. All the people that love you, opportunities, your education, your employment, everything, even on the hardest days, they're still gifts and they should be we should have gratitude to thank God, thank him for providing these things. In other words, our resources work best when we handle them as a gift. We understand that they are gifts. Because when we stop thinking about them as gifts, then we will stop, there's no stewardship with something that we feel like we own. We will start to think, I own this. And not only do I own it, I'm entitled to it. 
And when we start to feel entitled, we will take things for granted. And when we take things for granted, we are no longer grateful for them. And we will never be thankful to anybody for things we feel entitled to. And this goes for you and I. This goes for our children. We've got to teach our kids this too. To be grateful, to be thankful for the things that they have. And not to just take it for granted. The moment that we think that we are owed this, you're never going to get a thank you after that. But to teach them gratitude is so important. And Jesus was teaching us this. And we are to pause for a moment and declare our dependence upon God. Declare our dependence. Thank you, God. Give us today our daily bread. Everything I need to sustain me today, God, it's going to come from your hand. Thank you, Lord, ahead of time. I want to thank you for providing for me. Would you be willing to do that? Just pause to thank him and recognize it all comes from him. And then it makes it just a whole lot easier and clearer when it comes time to conduct yourself with those things in a way that is in keeping with his will. Of course, if they came from him, they're his, not mine. This is a stewardship. I'm managing it. I don't own them. Then it just makes sense. I'm going to do what the owner wants, not what I want. I'm going to do what honors him, not what honors me necessarily. So this is so powerful before we go on. Next, Jesus turns our attention to asking for forgiveness. In verse 12, he says, and let's say it together, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now, if I could just like distill down the whole Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer into one statement that's probably the most popular prayer that's prayed by most people on planet Earth, it's this one. God, forgive me of my sins. Uh, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my trespasses, okay? The old King James says, right? Forgive us. God, forgive Father. I, I have sinned. Father, forgive me. I have sinned right? This is a very popular prayer, probably the most popular. But the second half of this prayer, this line, gets neglected oftentimes. It gets neglected from application, and it gets neglected from being prayed. And here's how it ends. And, for, and forgive us of our debts, as we also, let's say it together, also have forgiven our debtors. I want you to forgive me of my debts, Lord, as, also, as we also, as I have also forgiven my debtors. In other words, it's a way of saying, God, I'm asking you to forgive me um, just as I have forgiven other people who have wronged me. God, forgive me for the way I have wronged you in a similar way that I have forgiven others who have wronged me. Again, I, I have to believe there's some of you going, wait, 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 wait. Pump the brakes here, Well. Seriously, God wants us to forgive everybody? Like, that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't seem, like, if you could, if I could tell you kind of some of the stuff that's happened to me, and now you're telling me I need to forgive that person that's betrayed me, hurt me, turned their back on me, stole from me, hurt my kids, hurt my, like, stole my dreams, stole my future, stole my money, stole my whatever, took, took, took and left me in shambles, and now you're asking me to forgive them? You're asking me to forgive them? Now, it's all valid questions to ask, but I believe that what Jesus is showing us, that God would say back to you, are you asking me, are you asking for something from me that you're unwilling to extend to others? 
Are you, are you asking me to do something for you? You're not even willing, you're not even open to do for other people. Well, this is in contradiction to what he has asked us as his followers to do. You remember the golden rule? Luke 6, 30, 31. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus is Jesus teaching. This is where that golden rule came from. But he goes even a step for, further to say, I want you to do unto others as God in Christ has done for you. As God in Christ has done for you. In other words, and Paul said it beautifully over in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Let's say it together. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is so powerful. We don't forgive other people to be forgiven of our sins. We forgive other people because we have been forgiven. Let me put it another way. God doesn't forgive us of our sins because we forgave other people of their sins. That's not what Jesus is teaching. God forgives us of our sins because of his mercy, because of his love for us. And if we receive that kind of forgiveness from God, but then we withhold it, we're not willing to extend it to another individual, then we are revealing that we're not one with Christ. It is only when we come to understand and personally experience the mercy of God that we will feel compelled. I have to share this with other people. It is ludicrous to think that I would receive this and then not share it. Like, that doesn't even make any sense at all. In other words, we, we are showing that when we forgive, it is evidence that we have been forgiven. This is so powerful and so important that we understand this, that we, uh, we're willing to take this step with God. So, if we're not willing to do that, we're not willing to forgive, let me just get you to entertain a question here. What do you call someone who expects other people to do something that they are not willing to do, right? What, what do you call a person like that? A hypocrite, right? Like, hey, all y'all need to be doing this, but I ain't doing that, right? It's a pretender, it's a faker. It is the first thing that Jesus said way back in verse five, right? When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. I want you to be careful. Jesus is trying to help us not to be hypocrites when it comes to our prayer life and to be consistent because this is not just like good PR for God. This is how we grow spiritually. When we live in contradictions in our private life, we stunt our own spiritual growth and we will never in this life be the people that God intended us to be. That unforgiveness is a prison cell. This was a C.S. Lewis quote that locks from the inside. We lock ourselves in and we stifle ourselves from ever making any progress until we're willing to forgive. And coming to that place of saying, God, you canceled my debt, of course I will cancel theirs. Of course. One of the greatest testimonies I've seen in this regard was a, a woman by the name of Corrie Tim Boom. Some of you may be familiar with her. She was a Dutch Christian that lived in Holland back during the World War II. Her and her family literally would rescue Dutch Jews from the Nazis by hiding them in the walls of their house until they were finally discovered. 
They were found out, and their whole family was taken to the concentration camps. At the end of World War II, only Corey survived. All the other members of her family were gone. But she used her remaining years to travel around Europe, and specifically Germany, from church to church, to share her story and the story of God's forgiveness for these people that had been a part of doing this to, their, to her family. Well, at one of these church meetings in Munich, after the church meeting, there was this man that walked up to her and she recognized him. He was a former SS guard. He was one who specifically had been a part of executing her sister, Betsy. And she froze. He walks up and he says to her, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. This, his hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the, the angry and vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than it is our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but it is on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. If you ask, you will receive. I want you to think carefully about this question as we close. Is there anyone you have refused to forgive? Is there anyone in your life that you have refused to forgive? And I know that if you and I could sit down and have a one-on-one, -on -one, you might even say, well, Will, listen, let me tell you what he or she did. Let me tell you how justified I am in holding on to that and not just letting them off the hook. Right, But here's what Jesus would say to you. But you to hold on to that unforgiveness, it is not them that's on the hook. It's you. It's you. Unforgiveness is like a cancer that eats away at the human heart. It erodes. And it, it, it eats you alive. It is like drinking a poison, hoping the other person dies. It will slowly begin to destroy you. And Jesus would say to you, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all of you who have been carrying unforgiveness, all of you who think that somehow if you let go of it, they're going to just get away with it. I want you to know that I will make all things right. Come to me, forgive them, and let me show you what a true life of forgiveness and freedom and peace is all about in my kingdom but you can't do it without surrender and forgiveness. Would you be willing to do that today?
Here's the prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today, simply saying, Heavenly Father, I ask for the courage to forgive, and you put their name right there. And it might be multiple people. I want you to put their name right there as we pray in just a moment. I want your will to be done, Lord, whatever that means. Maybe God is speaking to you about another area that needs to change to bring it in alignment with his will. Forgive me of my debts as I also have forgiven my debtors. God, help me to get real. Help me to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up as I talk to you about this. And this might be something you have to talk to God about every morning because our heart, emotionally, it has been there so long holding on to a grudge that we gotta slowly train it to let go, let go, let go. It may take multiple times to say, God, help me to forgive again. Help me to let it go again. But start today, start right now. Let this be the beginning of a new chapter Will you get free of this thing. And that this atrocity, this, this horrible offense doesn't continue to keep you a prisoner year after year, decade after decade into your future. If you would, right now, let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your love. I pray, God, for people all across this room that there is a person that comes to mind. There is a name, there is a face that needs to be forgiven. God, help us not to easily slip out of this room today and squirm out of this moment. Let this be a time where we actually do business with you and say, God, help me to forgive. I do not, just like Corey Tim Boom, I do not have it within me to do this, God. I need your help. Help me to forgive, God. I want to be free. I want to walk as a citizen of your kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, would you just tell him, God, help me to have the courage to forgive, and you tell him who it is. God, help me to have the courage to forgive. Tell him. Maybe there's multiple people. God, help me to have the courage to forgive, to ask for your help to forgive. Would you just right now, all across the room, if you're asking God for the courage to forgive, I'd love to pray for you right now. Would you just lift your hand and say, well, there is somebody. God bless you. Thank you for those courageous hands going up all over the floor and the balcony, all across. God, thank you. I pray, God, for every person who's crying out to you right now to say, God, help me. Help me to have the courage to forgive. Help me to relinquish and release. I don't want to be a prisoner to this situation any longer. To them, to this hurt, to this hostility from the past. We release it in Jesus' name. Give it over to him. And anytime it starts trying to come back, release it to him again and release it to him again until one day you no longer will be chained to it. You'll be free. You may lower your hands. And Lord, right now, all across this room, for anyone here that would say, I am asking God to forgive my sin." and to be my Lord and my Heavenly Father. I want to be forgiven of sin and I want a relationship with God. If that is the cry of your heart, whether you're watching this online, you're here in person, would you just pray right where you sit? Say, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life, forgive my sin, and I want a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, I want you to be my Father. Would you tell him that? If you just ask Christ to forgive your sin, 
and your heavenly Father to be your Father, would you just lift your hand right now to say, Will, that's me. I'm asking God to help me. Anybody here? Would you just lift your hand up? God bless you, ma'am. Right here, right over here in the back. Anybody in the balcony? I see that hand in the balcony right there and back over here. Anybody else? Give it it. God bless you, ma'am. I see you right there. Anybody else? God bless you, buddy. I see you right back there on that back row. God bless you. Thank you so much, Lord, for the, the life-changing decisions that are being made today to receive forgiveness that we can find no other place in all the universe but you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.